want to tell you a story about a missing girl, her family, and the community that was changed forever by her disappearance. This podcast discusses criminal behavior, kidnapping, and adult themes. While not explicit, listener discretion is advised. It began in a little rural community tucked away in southeast Idaho. It was and still is the very definition of country. There are by far more farmers' fields than neighborhoods. And the term neighbor is used pretty loosely. It really means anyone who lives within three miles of each other. This story begins in the early morning hours, June 5th, 2002. Picture a quiet farming community basking in the faint glow of a crescent moon and a star-filled night. The peaceful scene is interrupted only by the gentle chirping of crickets and the occasional passing car on Highway 26, which is nothing more than a two-lane road connecting Idaho Falls to Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Nestled along the side of the highway, an unassuming red brick home quietly sat, surrounded by recently planted fields. Suddenly, the calm is interrupted by Teddy, a loyal farm dog sensing something or someone lurking in the shadows. His loud barks filled the air, accompanied by whispers, hushed threats, and the quiet fall of footsteps walking away from a nearby trampoline. As the barking stops, the symphony of crickets resumes their chirping, oblivious to the unnerving events that had transpired. Back on the trampoline, two little girls continued sleeping, cocooned in blankets and blissfully unaware of what just happened and how it would change their lives forever. It was a summer day and we had been playing and working in the yard all day. Um, I was a little bit younger, so I didn't have to work quite as hard as the older kids. Um, And Megan and my sister, Lindsay, were, were working outside and they just kept asking my mom, like, can we please sleep on the tramp? Can we please sleep on the tramp? And I just was like, oh, I'll do whatever they want to do, you know, because they're the cool, they're sisters. So finally, my mom said yes. Um, And so they were super excited. And I was super excited because I got to join in with the older sister fun. Um, So we ran inside and we grabbed our sleeping bags and grabbed our stuff. And we went and like threw it on the trampoline And I remember it being in the evening, like earlier afternoon, it's still light outside. Nicole remembers this day fairly well for being so young. For 14-year-old Megan, 11-year-old Lindsay, and 7-year-old Nicole, this would be their first time sleeping outside on the trampoline, a rite of passage for any farm kid lucky enough to have one. When their parents, Gina and Daryl, gave in and let their girls sleep on the trampoline, They had no way of knowing evil was hunting in their community, just inside the shadows. I'm Emily, and I grew up in the country near Megan's family. The events of June 5th, 2002 shattered the feeling of safety I had taken for granted my entire childhood. Every parent held their kids a little tighter as it started a ripple effect of trauma throughout our community. This is She's Missing, a podcast that delves into the disappearance of Megan. We will follow the twists and turns of the investigation, 
weaving together narratives from Megan's family, friends, neighbors, and the dedicated deputies involved, leading up to the conclusion of the case. Let's begin. I woke up and I just remember looking over and Megan was gone. And like her blanket was still there and she had the Scooby-Doo blanket that she was obsessed with. And so I just kind of looked at it and I was like, huh, maybe Megan went in the house. And I wanted to do whatever Megan did. So I just was like, I'll get up and go in the house and go lay in my bed too. And so I went in the house and I fell asleep in my bed. The sun rose at 548 and not long after, Daryl would be headed off to work. As he passed the trampoline piled with blankets and sleeping bags, there was no hint of the night's events. I woke up the next morning and my mom was like, hey, go tell Megan and Lindsay that it's time for breakfast. Like I have breakfast ready. And so I was like, okay. And so I went outside and I'm like jumping on the tramp, you know, trying to like wake up Lindsay. And I go back inside and my mom's like, well, where's Megan? And I'm like, I don't know. Lindsay's out there, but Megan's not. So she's like, okay, we'll go down to her room and like, go see if she's in her room. And so I go look in her room and she's not in her room. And I go look in her bathroom and she's not in her bathroom. My mom's like, well, go look out on the trampoline again. Like, go see, you know, go look for her. And she was kind of busy taking care of the other kids and stuff. And my mom was just like, Nick, like, where's Megan? And I was like, I don't know. Like, I have no idea where she is. And so then my mom started to look for her. Gina, her mom, had three-year-old twins at the time, and I imagine her morning was very busy. But after several failed attempts by Nicole to find Megan, Gina started to worry, and it wouldn't take long for her to call for more help. I am Misty Jackson. Um, I worked for Megan's father as a secretary. Our families have known each other for years. My father... Uh, had a office for his construction company in the same building or office as Megan's father and um, shared the shop, the yard, everything like they we all worked there. My, my, my mother, my sister, they worked there as well. I get, I get to work about eight o'clock in the morning. I was there. Megan's dad was there. Megan's grandpa was there. They're getting the crew ready to head out to go to a job site. Remember, he was on the phone and Grandpa was in the other office, kind of going on the whiteboard, drawing stuff up. The phone rang, and and he was on the phone with Megan's mom. And it was probably pushing about 8.30-ish. Um, so we were just barely getting into our day. And she was kind of in a frantic, I can't find Megan. And I could hear him telling her, well, did you check downstairs in her room or in her room or, or the house or um, check the neighbors, the friends? And I could... So I could tell something wasn't right, and he gets off the phone, hangs up, okay, I'll be there. And so he turns to me and says, well, i got to head out and help my, help my wife. I can't find Megan. I remember my dad coming home, and when he came home, you know, we were looking in every vehicle that was on our property. We were out looking in the shop. We were looking in the ditch. Like, we just, all of a sudden, it was like, everyone look, everyone go see if you can find her. Um, and... No one could find her. Daryl and Gina start calling Megan's friends, hoping and praying she is with one of them. Each phone call becomes a lifeline of possibility, every ring amplifying their prayers to find her. My name is Kira, and I grew up next to Megan. 
we were best friends and we did pretty much everything together. And uh, we were as close to neighbors as you can get out in the rural farmlands where we grew up. Um, and so we were pretty close, both of our family. I remember that morning specifically, uh, I actually got a phone call from her dad and he asked if I had seen her that morning. It wasn't uncommon to be at each other's houses or to not necessarily not know where each other was. He asked if I knew where she was and I didn't. I told him no and he, he hung up. I didn't think much of it. My name is Whitney and Megan was my best childhood friend. We were best friends from the third grade and we were inseparable. I mean, anywhere I would go, Megan went, anywhere she went, I went. And I mean, to the point where our family would take her and her little sister on vacation with us to Disney World. I mean, we did everything together. So we were very close. And I remember waking up, it was still I mean, we were teenagers. We were like a bit lazy. So we got up and didn't really get ready for the day. We were cleaning the house. And I get a phone call from Megan's mom. And she says, is Megan there with you? And I'm like, no, why would she be there with me? We're going to see her in a little bit. And I said, no, she's not here. And she goes, we can't find her anywhere. Do you know where she might be? And I'm like, well, maybe she's at our other friend's house, Kira. And they said, we already talked to Kira. She's, she's not there. Maybe an hour later, 9.30ish, like it, they definitely couldn't find her. It was, I mean, it was, it was just still morning, but it was like evident she's not around. With each fruitless call, the knot in Daryl and Gina's stomachs tightens. No one seems to have any clue where she could be, deepening the mystery and heightening their sense of helplessness. The gravity of the situation settles on the family, and it is now time to make another call one Daryl never thought he would have to make. Daryl calls the police, asking them to send a deputy and reports his oldest daughter as missing. My name is Brian Stolzich. I was a deputy sheriff uh, for Bonneville County uh, at the time of this incident. I was called to a missing runaway person, possibly uh, of a juvenile. I contacted parents who were concerned that their daughter was was missing. The daughter's name was Megan, and Megan's folks gave a brief rundown that they had slept on the trampoline the night before, and when they went out that morning that their daughter was gone. The younger sibling of Megan was there and had come into the house, but Megan was not. So we had, I've dealt with a lot of runaways or juveniles missing. So I went through some of the, the questions of, you know, is there a friend that they, she would have maybe snuck out with, or she have a boyfriend, you know, tell me a little bit about her. And they explained to me that she uh, was a great kid and that uh, no problems uh, in the past. They had already done some legwork calling some of her friends to see if she happened to be with them for some reason. And uh, when we had gone through the majority of those initial questions, Megan's father and, and myself, uh, we searched the, the, the premises. They had this shed and, and some equipment and vehicles that were around. And 
So we looked around to, to make sure that she hadn't gone for a walk or something to that effect. Despite Daryl and Gina's exhaustive search of their property, home, and farming equipment, they joined forces with the police to search once again, desperately hoping for a different outcome, hoping that this time they will find her. My name is Brian Lovell, Sergeant for Bonneville County Sheriff's Office. Um, Stosich got that original call uh, sometime in the morning, and um, eventually he had reached out and, and um, let us know that he needed some help. There was something kind of wrong with what was going on, what was being reported, but initially trying to, like we do with any call where someone's gone, especially a kid or a teenager or something, you're trying to figure out if it's, um, you know, a runaway or, or they're sleeping in the house somewhere, you know, we're searching all the outbuildings, all that stuff. So I remember going out there. I can't remember how, how much time had passed, but I had, I had arrived out there with Stosich or after Stosich and, and with some other folks. And um, I do remember going out through the shop buildings and the outbuildings with Daryl and kind of looking around and, and uh, trying to find Megan. And I had got the basic story. You know, they had been sleeping on the trampoline and, and uh, whatever time that morning, Everybody's getting up and no one can find Megan. So, um, you know, I remember Daryl being very stressed, uh, very worried. I, th- I think he broke down at one point. You know, I yeah, I remember trying to kind of do, do what I can to help him feel better or let him know we're gonna, you know, we'll figure this out. But you know, we it it was it was evident in short amount of time or not too long that that it was something more. She she wasn't anywhere on the property. There wasn't any friends or people that uh, she would have took off with or run away with or anything like that. Coming up empty, Daryl calls his friend, who happens to be a helicopter pilot, and asks if he would be willing to fly his helicopter over the farm to get a better view of the acres of fields that had yet to be searched. His friend agrees, even though it will take time to prepare the helicopter and fly it from two counties over. It's important for you to understand that Daryl and Gina are two of the friendliest people you could ever meet. As a business owner, Daryl was fairly well known in the community. He was also a counselor in the bishopric for his ward at the time. Their family and a large percentage of the community belonged to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The local congregations are called wards, and they are led by local volunteer clergy, which Daryl was a part of. Peggy, a close friend of Gina and Daryl's, who also belonged to their ward, remembers the day well. The morning after, we had gone to my son's um, baseball game and my daughter's t-ball game that morning. And then when I was returning, Ryan, he had slept over at our house that night. I pulled around to the garage, and as I recall, Teddy, their dog, came out and was barking at me, and a police officer came out looking very stern and um, asked me what I was doing there. I was like, well, I'm just returning their son home. He had slept over at our house. And Gina came out and uh, looked white as a ghost. I knew something was terribly wrong. And um, she told me that Megan was gone, that they didn't know where she was. I just was overwhelmed. I didn't know what to think. Um, How could she be gone? She told me that police officers were saying, you know, maybe she just, because she was 14, maybe she ran off with friends. Um, 
And Gina's like, she wouldn't do that. Nobody knows where she is. And so at that point, I asked what I could do to help. I gathered up the twins, the three-year-old twins. I gathered up Nicole, uh, my children, and I asked if I could take Lindsay, and they told me no, that they needed to keep her there. Lindsay was 11 at the time, but did not wake up during the night. Because Nicole was only seven, she was allowed to leave, but Lindsay was asked to stay. Lindsay was like the deepest sleeper. Like you could go in there, she would not move. So she was a super deep sleeper, um, and Megan was an extremely light sleeper. So like she would kind of wake up really easy anyways. I returned to my home that day um, watching the kids and um, just sick to my stomach wondering where Megan could be and just knowing the heartache that Daryl and Gina must be feeling. The possibility of Megan willingly running off with someone or wandering off on her own seemed completely out of character for her, adding to the anxiety of her family. The imagined scenario of Megan leaving her two little sisters alone in the dark as she walked away from the trampoline cast a dark shadow over the thoughts of the family and the deputies. I just had this gut feeling that this was not a normal runaway or somebody that snuck out just to, to be with a boyfriend or to, to be with friends. So uh, at that point, uh, I called the, the detective's office, gave them a rundown of what I had done in the, the initial investigation. Deputy Stosich calls the detectives and other resources to help investigate and figure out what happened to Megan. Had she been taken? For now, all they know is she's missing, and the word is slowly spreading through the community as they ask for help to broaden the search by foot. My name's Amber, and I am friends with Megan's family. We were also neighbors. Uh, I grew up with with Megan and her family, I was their babysitter. Megan didn't have any older siblings and I didn't have any younger siblings. So we kind of had a special relationship where I was her kind of her big sister and she was like my little sister. I had just recently had surgery on my feet. And so I was uh, resting when my mom came in and she woke me up and she looked very startled and she, she told me that Megan was gone and I didn't know what that meant. She's like, Megan's missing. I'm like, what do you mean? And she said, she's gone. Everyone's looking for her. I shot up <laughs> off the couch, just in shock. There wasn't much I could do. I couldn't really go anywhere. I was kind of stuck at home on the couch with crutches. Uh, so I just kind of stayed and uh, had to hear through everyone else what was going on. And it was the longest morning of my life because I couldn't, I, I felt helpless. My, what I felt like was my little sister was missing and there was absolutely nothing I could do about it. Her dad called back not too long later and asked again, uh, repeated, oh, you know, we're just looking for Megan. Is there any way she's over there? He tried to do the... Uh, you know, you're not in trouble if she is there and, you know, you didn't tell me because you guys wanted to play. Um, and I said, no, I am so sorry, but I don't know where she's at. I haven't seen her this morning. Um, and his, his voice broke 
and he just said, we can't find her. And that's when I knew something was wrong. This podcast was produced by me, Emily. Music production is by Morgan Selner. Be sure to stay tuned until the end to hear a preview of the next episode. While the timeline may not be exact, the facts of this case are laid out as close as the memories of those involved allowed. You can follow us through our social links. We will be back next week with another episode. She's Missing is a Search Party Media production. It's not like we have people getting abducted every day. That's when the internet was super new, so we, I pull up the internet and uh, instantly start seeing news about Elizabeth Smart and how she was taken. Two apparent kidnappings the same day, one in Utah and one in Idaho Falls. Uh, this was nine months from the Amber Hoops call, and I started, once we started going down that list, I was getting more worried. I was starting to think in terms of, we haven't solved the Amber Hoops case yet. If she had left, if there was any indication that she really was gone, that she chose to leave, she would have taken that Scooby-Doo blanket out there on that trampoline. Is it possible someone's, you know, running up and down the Northwest, grabbing who they can as they go, you know? She and I had had many, many sleepovers at this point, and she went nowhere without that blanket. <laughs>